Here's where we're at. We've been going through the book of John, and so if you would join me. If you need a Bible, there's Bibles in the back. We'd love to get it for you. Um, I can't tell. Is Greg back there? This is one good-looking man right here. Look at this. <laughs> ladies, ladies, he's married. He's married, okay? He's a granddad, but that's a good-looking man right there. If you need a Bible, some of the people would be happy to uh, get you a Bible. Um, just so you know, our view of the Word of God is we believe it's, it's written by the Holy Spirit. He carried along men. He carried along men to write in the original manuscript to be absolutely inerrant, that the Bible is God's inspired Word given to us so that we might know and walk with Him and flourish in life the way that He designed it. And so if you don't have a Bible, you can grab a Bible, keep it. We just want you to have it. It's why we're serious about teaching through the Bible. We just don't think there's any other book on the planet that, uh, that gives life like this. So John 20, we're going to be in verse 30. And I just want to read two verses to you on where we're going today. And uh, you know what? This sounds a little Catholic, but could you stand up again? <laughs> we're going to stand up one more time. Just for God's word, just out of honor of, of his word this morning. So look at verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Let's pray. Jesus, we so desperately need your Holy Spirit to do a work in us this morning. Father, you know my week, my morning. If I don't have your Holy Spirit do a work on me this morning, I'm going to communicate thoughts that are not your thoughts. And so I beg you right now, would you empower me? to communicate accurately. And then, Father, I believe no one hears apart from the Holy Spirit. You open the heart, you open the ears. And so, Father, this morning I beg you, would you do a miracle in this room and allow us to accurately hear your word. And, Father, not just be hearers of the word, but like James talked about, Father, would you allow us to be doers of the word as well. Thanks so much, Father. Give us grace this morning in your precious name. Amen. Okay, now, (laughs) we're going to kneel. I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I had never been to a Catholic church before and I went to like a traditional Catholic wedding. I finally looked over at somebody and said, man, who wants to be Catholic? I was up, down, you know, <laughs> spin around, pick a bale of cotton. It was like crazy. So um, anybody that knows me knows I am a, I'm a huge adrenaline freak. I love to do like adrenaline type stuff, stuff that's a little crazy. And so last year for my 40th birthday, this is one of the things that I did. So I'll just let you play this video for us real quick. Don't you love the hat? (laughs) Watch what he does with my head here in a second. Today by Skydive Hillsman. All right. 
I'm really good at falling, as you can tell. I'm like, gravity and I work well together. But I just love stuff like that. I don't even know if you remember um, when a bomb gardener, what was that guy's name that jumped like 24 miles? Um, gosh, what was his name? It's like Felix, Felix Baumgartner. I loved watching that because it's like, in your head you're thinking, can you imagine falling 24 miles and breaking the sound barrier? But the other stuff, I just, I just love to watch stuff like that. And so also last year, I watched, I don't know if you guys remember this, but on June 15th, 2012, and let me get this guy's name so I say it right. His name is Nick Walenda. He came from like this famous Walenda kind of circus family. But he walked a third of a mile across the front of, uh, of Niagara Falls. And here's kind of the picture of what it looked like. Can you imagine that? <laughs> don't fall, you know? But the thing nobody knows about, though, is, is this guy was not the first guy to do stuff like this. There was actually a guy back in the 1800s. Let me make sure I get his name right again. His name was Charles Blondin. He was the first man. He came over in the 1850s, and I'll kind of show you the picture of him. Don't you love his little outfit? Where he's like, <laughs> Dude, you get beat up if you stand like this. Um, but uh, he would walk across. He, he was, was about 1,200 feet, so not quite of a third of a mile. But he was the first guy to kind of get up there and, and to do this kind of a thing. But he would do everything from put somebody on his shoulders and walk across um, he actually did one trick where he took a stove out and he cooked something out on a stove out in the middle of that and then came back. It's like, whoa. But his most famous thing he started doing in the 1880s was to go across with a wheelbarrow. And so he would take his wheelbarrow and he'd go across and he'd come back, you know, and everybody would be like, ah, that's awesome. And he'd look at everybody and say, who wants to see me do it again? Yeah! Who thinks like that, that I could actually put somebody in my wheelbarrow and walk across? Everybody's like, yeah! And he looked over, he'd always look at one person and go, do you think I can? And the person would go, yeah! And he'd always say, then get in. <laughs> All of a sudden you're like, nah, I don't see you doing it, right? Now, what we're going to be talking about today is this idea of believe, right? That's all throughout this concept, and especially out of the book of John, the word believe is very important to this. Now, believe is exactly what would happen with this particular guy when he, Charles Blondin would say, not, do you believe in the fact that I could do it? But John wanted to know, would you believe in the fact that you would trust, that, that you would trust that Jesus Christ will get you where you need to go? See, I think sometimes inside of Christianity, we think the idea of belief is to just merely assent to some facts somehow that, you know, yeah, Jesus came, he lived, he died, he, he, he rose again, he's coming back one day. And if you just believe that, kind of like you believe the Easter Bunny or you believe Santa Claus or you believe in UFOs, that somehow that is sufficient belief. John would say that's ridiculous. James, I think, would say that's ridiculous. Paul would say that's ridiculous. Peter would say that's ridic- ridiculous. The idea is not to believe like in some concept of the, the tooth fairy. The idea is believe from the standpoint of trust. Okay, that's what we're going to be today. Is that you will then even, when Jesus Christ says to you, do you want to get in the wheelbarrow, you then get in regardless of where he's going because you trust him. And at the end of it, you trust what we're going to learn today, this idea that the promise of trusting in Jesus is always life. Okay, that's where we're going to be going today. Now, the key aspect of this verse, and you can go to 2030, and so we can kind of look at this, 
is that this idea of belief is going to come up. It's mentioned in the book of John like almost a hundred times. This word believe just keeps coming up over and over and over. This idea of, of trusting in Jesus is a, is a huge thing. But in verse 30 now, we're going to see this idea that John, before he gets to belief, he first says this idea that now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Now, the idea of signs is, is that whenever it speaks about it in the, New, in the New Testament or even the Old Testament, it's kind of like signs we use today to know that I'm on the 405 or I'm on the 5, is that when I see these signs along the way, I can know that it's leading me in the correct direction. Now, when he talks about this idea of signs, all throughout the book of John, signs are always pointing to this idea of Jesus and who he is. And so as John, what he's doing is he's building the case, kind of like what Charles Blondin did. He would walk across with his wheelbarrow, then he'd come back across and show that he could do it, and then he would say, who wants to trust me? Now, this idea of signs, and you're going to see this, and so if you've got your Bible, kind of flex your fingers a little bit, because we're going to go through the book of John. Look at 2.18. Go back just a few pages to 2.18, and let's look at this idea of what signs were. How did they... What were, they, what were they a part of, or what was John trying to tell us in regards to signs? Verse 18. Jesus had just come in, and he had just cleared the temple. And, and you, you see this in verse 17. After he cleared the temple, he said, zeal for your house will consume me. Everybody's freaking out because he turned over tables. He had actually put together a whip, and he'd driven people out of it. And so in verse 18, the Jews came up to him and said, hey, what signs do you show us for doing these things? Or who do you think you are? Only the one that's the Messiah to come, this one has the right to ever come in and do this. And you're going to see this now. Jesus is like, you want some signs? I'll give you some signs. He'd already given him one sign. Remember back in 2, 1 through 11, right? He came in and the sign was he churned water into wine. Now, it didn't just stop there. Look at the 9, 16. We're going to see this again, this expectation that the Messiah, this one that's to come, was going to come doing these signs. Look at verse 16. The Pharisees are arguing over who Jesus is. And some of the Pharisees, it says in verse 16, said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner, how can he do such signs? See, within them, they knew that there was something unique about this. And keep your finger in John and just go over with me to Luke. And you'll see this even in regards to John the Baptist. He's about ready to die. And he's like, man, before I die, I need to know who this is. And so in Luke 7, go ahead and turn your Bible back there, verse 18. You can see this where he's just, he wants to know, is this truly the one? Is this the Messiah? And so in verse 18, it says, the disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord saying, are you the one who is to come? In other words, we're trying to see these signs. We're trying to know, are you the Messiah or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, I love this. 
Go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. In other words, yep. Here's your sign, right? I mean, it's just like, it's just this thing in which there it is. Now back in John, watch this. Now the outcome of this, John 2, verse 11, is that every time these signs were done, something incredible happens. Verse 11, this, the first of, the, of his signs, the turning water into wine, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. Look at this. And his disciples did what? They believed in him. This is key. Go with me now to 2.23. We're going to see this again. Now many, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name. Why? When they saw the signs that he was doing. Look at chapter 3, verse 2. This is Nicodemus. He's one of the most respected of all the Sanhedrin at that time. And he comes to him by night, it says in verse 2, and said to him, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher come from God. Why? Because no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with them. 6.14. We see it again. When the people saw the sign that had done, been done, in other words, when he had fed 5,000, what did they say? This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. This is the, the Messiah that's to come. Look at chapter 7, verse 31. Yet many of the people did what? They believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? In other words, what more does this guy have to do? This guy's doing crazy junk all over the place. This must be the true Messiah that's been talked about. 11, verse 47. In case you haven't saw, I'm going to try to prove a point. Verse 47. So the chief priests and Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we going to do? Why? For this man performs many signs. It's these signposts like knowing that you're on the five. As you're driving down the five and you keep saying five, 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 it's like, oh, I'm going the right direction. And all these signs were pointing to the reality. This Jesus guy is exactly who he was claiming to be, this promised Messiah that was to come. Now, the crazy thing about this is look at chapter 6, verse 26. You would think at the end of this, then everybody's going to go with them. But chapter 6, verse 26, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me because you saw, you're not seeking me because you saw signs. Why? but because you ate your fill of loaves. In other words, you like me because I give you bread. Now in this, there's another thing that starts to happen. See, people see Jesus doing these things, and in a weird way, they believe in him, but they believe in him, and there's this problem underneath it. They didn't want Jesus. They wanted what Jesus could give them. 
And inside of it now, Jesus calls them out on this because the Messiah that they wanted in the back of their heads was they wanted a messianic kingdom. They wanted a king to come in, throw out the Roman government, make everything peachy keen inside of what we do. They wanted material greatness. They wanted a nice, easy, comfortable, safe life. And Jesus says to him in Luke 14, no, if you want to come with me, you got to take up your cross and follow me. And they're like, I don't like that Messiah. But Jesus says, this is my kingdom. Here's your signs. They're out in front of you. What are you going to do with the Messiah? And in one of the scariest things written in John 12, 37, it says this in verse 37. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. I've always heard people say, oh, if I could just see the things, then I would believe. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. But what he's talking about here, and go back to 20, verse 30, this is really key, that what John's trying to say here is, is that he did all these things, but he's building the case for evidence that you can trust this. In fact, he said he did it in front of all of us. Everything that Jesus did, he didn't kind of go back in some quiet room and say, you guys stay out there, you know, almost like Wizard of Oz, and he pulls the curtain and he kind of and comes out. It says everything he did in front of the disciples and in front of everybody, people saw it. It was undeniable. In fact, even with the guys that he didn't from the, the, uh, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, they acknowledged he was doing something, but they didn't. They, what they said was his source of his power is different. It's not God, it's who? Satan. They blasphemed the Holy Spirit, which Jesus said, this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, that's the unforgivable sin. Here he was doing all these things, all the signs going, sitting there going, Messiah, Messiah, Messiah. And they're, they're like, no, I can't be him. But what John does is he takes and he's going to grab these seven signs. If you remember right in John 2, 1 through 11, he turns water into wine. That's the first sign. Then he heals the ruler's son in John 4, 46 through 53. Then in John 5, 1 through 9, he comes in and he heals the paralytic. He feeds the 5,000 in John 6, 5 through 14. In 6, 16 through 24, he walks on water. In 9, 1 through 7, he heals the blind man. And in probably one of his most crowning acts that he did besides his own resurrection, in John 11, 1 through 45, his good friend's been dead for a few days and he walks in front of the stone, tells him to move it away. And I can still just imagine being there, Mary and Martha going, he's going to stink. And then he just in one big, bold movement goes, Lazarus, Come on out. Signs just sitting there going, Messiah, Messiah, Messiah. See, John wants us to know there's proof to this. In fact, keep your finger in John 20 and go over to 1 John. This is how he records it. 1 John 1, when he's writing about this, this evidence that he has. 1 John 1, look at verse 1. He says, look. That which was from the beginning, when I saw Jesus when he first started, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we looked upon, have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, Jesus himself, 
the life was manifest and we have seen it and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we also proclaim to you so that you may have fellowship with us. Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. We're writing these things so that your joy may be complete. In other words, even when you get to go back to John 21... Everybody's fingers tired yet? Here we go. John 21, look at verse 24. He says, look, this disciple, him being him, John, who's bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And he says, now there are many other things that Jesus did where every one of them written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that it would be written in. Three and a half years, and that's the testimony of a guy's life? You could probably put my book, like my life, in like a kid's book. And Jesus, he says, he would have filled all the volumes of every book at that time. John's like, what more evidence do you want? A rabbi wrote in the first century, he talked about this idea of a Jesus. He didn't deny Jesus' signs, but he said that really what Jesus was doing was kind of these miraculous arts. And so therefore, you shouldn't follow Jesus. In 110 AD, a group of rabbis also, they got together to argue over what should we do about the permissibility of people healing in the name of Jesus because they had seen it not through Jesus, but then they had watched all of Jesus' followers. What did they do? In the name of Jesus, hands were stretched forth, sight was given. What are we supposed to do with this is the other way, the words that they're saying. The ruler Julian comes along in the fourth century. He reflects back on it, and this is what he said about it. He said, Jesus has been celebrated for 300 years, having done nothing. And then look what he says. Having done nothing but heal the lame, the blind, the deaf, the mute. Oh, yeah. (laughs) What'd you do today? Nah, I just healed some people. What are you doing tomorrow? I'm going to probably heal the deaf. Are you kidding me? 300 years into this. And people are still looking back, even his enemies, and going, yeah, something crazy happened back then. It is undeniable, just an unbroken chain of celebrating Jesus doing the absolutely miraculous. And you can just see this with John, is that he, the thing he was saying about them is who he really was, he was. In other words, when Jesus took the wheelbarrow and walked across the line and came back, he could actually do it. All the signs pointed that Jesus was who he said he was. I love that. I love that we don't have to check our head at the door on one level. Now, some people say, oh, yeah, the supernatural. What are you talking about? If God really did create this world, do you think he can't come in and go, woo, and mix it up however he wants? He's not bound by the things we're bound by. He is God and supersedes all things. But I love this because Jesus wasn't some man pushing across a rickety wheelbarrow. Jesus was the rock. And all of this pointed to him truly being who he said he was. And I love what he does here is that you're now going to see in verse 31. So you can go back to 20, verse 31. But the key that he's trying to now get apart that John wants us to know is, is that I'm writing all of this stuff. Why? So that you will trust him. I want you to trust him. Absolutely. See, that's why he says here, but these are written. Why? 
so that you might believe. And if you could just imagine John sitting there writing this as a guy who'd followed Jesus since he was a teenager, who had watched all of his good friends who knew Jesus die because they believed in this Jesus. He's the only one of the apostles left writing it going, I'm writing this so that you'll believe who he really is. That's his whole point in John. It's like, you get it. God walked amongst us. And yeah, he didn't come to solve our financial problems like you think he did. He didn't drive out the Romans. He came to solve our biggest problem, sin and death. And he conquered them on a tree. And he conquered them by absolutely being resurrected from the grave. Do you get who he is? That's why he says that you would believe Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah. He's saying all the signs are pointing to that. Messiah, Messiah, Messiah. The deliverer. The one that had been promised that was going to deliver us from all the way back in Genesis 3 after humankind fell. He was going to crush the head of Satan. This is the Messiah. He's the son of God, the mystery that was now come to bear. No human could die in our place. He had to be able to die. He had to be fully human. But you think a human could bear this, the, the wrath of God because of sin? Are you kidding me? Only God could bear that. That's why he had to be fully God. And John has been arguing all throughout the book of John, Jesus is God. That's the only option. The second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. And he's sitting there kind of like Charles Blondin going this. Do you want to get in? Do you want to get in? And he knows that some people are going to go, yeah, I want to get in. That's right. And they get in that wheelbarrow and the promise of at the end of it is life. Now some of you think I'm going to fall over, don't you? (laughs) It's my cat-like reflexes. But the crazy part about it is, here's the key. Not just that we would make a one-time decision. I think some people think faith, whether they're buying fire insurance because they don't want to go to hell, which, by the way, is not sufficient. Man, when I grew up, I grew up inside of churches that was like, do you want to go to hell? Well, what's a seven-year-old going to say? Well, what's the alternative? Heaven? Don't they play harps and float around on clouds? I guess it's better than burning forever, you know? So I'm like, all right, I'll go to heaven. You kidding me? Not believing in what the Savior can give us, but believing in the Savior. Huge difference. But what's cool about this is that he doesn't stop. He doesn't say, okay, then it's all good. We're in our wheelbarrow. He now adds to it, and by believing. See, in verse 30, he also adds this idea. Not only am I supposed to be in here, but I am now called to continue to believe. But you know this, isn't that the hard part? Man, every day I get in this, I'm so excited. When I got in this wheelbarrow, I'm like, no way, I know Jesus. And I'm like in the wheelbarrow, you know, and Jesus is taking me along. And I still remember the first time people were talking to me about, you know, hey, we need to spend time reading our Bibles and praying and getting to know God because that's what he's called us to do is have a relationship with him. And I still remember the first time I was going to get up in the morning to just be with Jesus and the sheep monster got me. Has the sheep monster ever gotten you? Oh, those moments, then he gets you in a stranglehold. And all of a sudden, I'm like, yeah, I don't know if I like to be in here this morning. Ah, 
I think I'm not going to believe this morning. I'm just going to hit snooze. Now, I'm not talking about the losing of your salvation. We already covered that in John 10. Once we're in the hand of God, nothing can snatch us out. But the call isn't a one-time act to believe, but don't we have to believe all the time? And not just believe anything, but the reason that I stay in here is because I keep believing, you still think I'm going to fall, still keep believing that Jesus truly is the Messiah and the Son of God. The reason that I wake up in the morning and spend time with him is for that very reason. I always see this with husbands and wives that come in for counseling. They love the fact that they came to know Jesus, but the moment that they start to have a hard time and start arguing, husbands and wives are like, I'm out of there because we need to talk. I'm no longer going to trust Jesus Messiah. We're going to argue. Part of it is Jesus going, all right, you two brats, get back in. I'm Messiah. Not just that, but it's even in all kinds of areas of life. I see guys that in their vocation or women in their vocation they somehow exit this. They, keep, they quit believing that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's the Son of God. And when they go to work, they get out here and go, you know what, I'm just going to work however I want to work. I'm no longer going to work understanding that Jesus is the King. I'm going to show up at my workplace and I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to skate a little. I'm going to shy a little. I'm going I'm to cheat the system a little bit. With our finances, we sit there and we say to God, I'll do anything you want me to, God. And then he calls us then to sacrificially give of our resources and we go, oh yeah, never mind. (laughs) What? See, at the end of it, we don't believe the concept that where your treasure is, what? That your heart will be. Oftentimes I'll hear people, you know, they'll come and they're single. I want to follow Jesus, and, but I really want to be married. I want to be married. I want to be married. And then we go, no, I'm out of here. I'm going to escape Jesus. <laughs> and in the weird way, all of a sudden, here's Jesus with them and saying, do you trust me with your singleness? Do you trust me that at the end of your singleness, even if you stay single for your whole life, that there's life at the end of it. Those moments, and I don't know how you are, I still get scared sharing my faith, man. You're sitting there across from somebody, and all of a sudden I'm believing Jesus, the Messiah, the King, and then all of a sudden I've got to talk to somebody about Jesus, and I'm like, I'm going to just be over here right now. But Jesus is calling us back in here, going, do you believe if you're bold about Jesus and talk with this person, there is life? Do you believe it? Do you believe this in every facet of your life, your parenting? Oh man, there's so many times, man, and it just happened the other, yesterday. Right before I'm supposed to come preach here, my oldest Brianna and my youngest Josiah, they had the audacity to get me frustrated before I'm supposed to come preach to the people. And I'm sitting in there, my study time with the Lord, and I'm like, oh, Lord, you're Messiah, you're Son of God. And then my kids do something stupid, and I'm like, God, just a second, I need to deal with this. (laughs) Right? That by believing, I've got to believe that even if I stay in this, that doing it how God's called me brings life. Life is mentioned almost 50 times in the book of John. In other words, it's the way humans were intended to be. 
Life's not like this world has to offer, but life like only God can offer. And you know this, those of you that are followers of Christ, don't you know that there's more life sitting in this wheelbarrow, even if it's scary as can be, doing crazy things that God has called you to do, but in a weird way, you're like, this is life, isn't it? Probably one of the hardest things my wife and I went through, and a lot of people that, that maybe don't go through this don't understand it, but my wife and I really wanted to have children. And so we tried. My grandpa said the best part about having kids is making kids. And so we, it's not as if we didn't try. And with it, though, we were sitting there and we couldn't have kids. And finally, my wife got pregnant. I still remember her coming home and she had a little baggie for me. And then all of a sudden she had the little, you know, EPT thing. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to touch it, you know. And so, but there she, you know, it's like, oh, I'm pregnant. And I'm thinking, yes. And then within a few weeks, that baby went to be with Jesus. No kid, no kid. No kid. In that weird way, Jesus was looking at us going, do you trust me? Do you? Honestly. I remember coming home and my wife is thinking, well, are we supposed to go a medical route? Are we supposed to take some other kind of a route? And we looked into it and we realized that some of the medical routes you go, man, you end up killing the kids. You, we go out and we make lots of, you know, IVF kids and there's like 7 million sitting around frozen in the United States right now that are just waiting to be discarded. If we believe life begins at conception, why the heck would we ever do that? And Jesus is looking at us going, do you trust me? Really? I remember finally her and I, and it, was, it wasn't like it wasn't just like, oh yeah, sure God, we trust you, yeah, you bet. But I remember in tears one night, we just realized God had called us to something different. We didn't know what it was, but for some reason, we weren't able to have kids. We, we chose not to, to go the medical route until we met a couple. Their names are Irene and Domingo Garcia. They've now, I think they have 19 kids, two biological. They brought in all kinds of kids to their home, and my wife and I remember sitting with them. We had all kinds of excuses. We're not going to adopt because it costs lots of money. All these different reasons why we weren't. And for the first time ever, we were challenged with this concept of foster care. So I remember going out, and we're like, yeah, whatever. We'll go try this foster care thing. And God is going, good, get in the wheelbarrow. This is the path I have for you. We got in the wheelbarrow, and I'll never forget when we got our first kid, David. We picked up David from a Denny's. <laughs> it's like your dream to pick up your child, you know, and you go, and it's like Denny's. Yeah, and I'll also have a, glance, a grand slam on the side, you know, and it's like, what in the world? We picked up this little boy. We loved on him, but after a while, if you know anything about foster care, they come and they get that kid, and if you've really done your job, your heart just breaks. Kid after kid after kid until little Brianna. When we first got Brianna, she was ugly. <laughs> Don't tell her I said that. She's beautiful now. And she was so drug exposed, we hardly slept. And in the back of our head, we're thinking, oh, Lord, not this one. <laughs> a lot of you are going, oh, my gosh, we're going to leave now. But in it, all of a sudden, man, this little girl just began to grow on us. And I'll never forget finally sitting in front of that judge when that judge looked at us and said, this one, this Brianna, do you now agree to take her as your very own with all the rights, privileges, inheritance? And I'm thinking, oh, she ain't going to get a lot of inheritance. But, 
but I remember the moment that was done. And if you've ever adopted kids before, you know what I'm talking about. It's just like, no way. But God wasn't done. Then he gave us Josiah. Then he gave us Ryan. Why? Because God was looking at us going, do you trust me? It may not be the path you think you need to go, but do you trust me? Do you believe at the end of this is life like you never imagined, life like it was intended to be lived? And with it, the thing I would say to you, the thing the book of John confronts us on, I think in such a big way, is it confronts us on this reality of do you believe on an ongoing basis and do you believe that when you truly do see Jesus as Messiah and as the Son of God, and I dive into this even on an ongoing basis, and a lot of times people think, oh, you know, I've got to be going to the ends of the world, I've got to be in Papua New Guinea. No, I'm just talking on the everyday decisions that you make. Do you trust God? That's what John is asking us this morning. We're about ready to do a parenting conference. And Irene and Domingo are actually going to come down, and I would so encourage you to be here for it. They're going to do the foster care track along with my wife and I. But the thing that we're putting in front of us, and I don't believe everybody's supposed to do foster care, by the way. Don't think that I'm saying that. But I'm saying, do you trust God on an ongoing basis saying, God, whatever I believe at the end of it is life. So you go to Hebrews. I'm going to finish with this, 13. This is what the writer of Hebrews was saying to this group of people. He's writing to them in verse 12. And he said this. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Look at this. Therefore, let's get in the wheelbarrow and go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach, that he, the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that's to come. This is John's argument. Do you believe this? Is it scary? Of course it's scary. Because I believe some of you, God is going to challenge you like crazy to do things that you could never imagine to go and to believe Jesus in these moments. These moments that you're sitting there and it might just be simple at first that you get into an argument with your wife and you're going to go, okay, Jesus, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of God. I refuse to act and get outside of this wheelbarrow. I'm going to just stay right here in my disagreement with my wife or the wife to the husband and your parenting of your kids and how you handle your finances. Man, the other day I got convicted about this. I went to Wendy's and as I come to Wendy's, I order my food and then there's this weird moment, you know, they're like, do you want to super grand size it, monster size it? And it's like, yes. Yes. <laughs> but in a weird moment, I had a Messiah moment asking the question, really? Why? Because I'm a glutton. It's these daily moments. Sometimes we're going to do big things, but I feel like even sometimes people think that walking with Jesus is like we're supposed to do these crazy things for crazy's sake. No, we're supposed to do what God has for you. He has a plan in your life to accomplish amazing things in conjunction with his body. And some of you might get asked to go to the ends of the world. The rest of us might get asked to support that kind of a thing. But we have a mission to do right here. And if God wants to shake the deck, I've read the book of Jonah enough that if he wants you to go to Nineveh, you don't have an option. 
say I love about serving Jesus because every once in a while he'll just go, you're getting in the wheelbarrow, let's go. Right? But we don't just do it for crazy sake. Everybody wants to do big things for Jesus, but few want to be faithful. Jesus even says that in Matthew. He talks about, or in Luke uh, 16.10, he talks about this. Those that are faithful with a few will be faithful with a lot. Some of you may not be being asked to do bigger things for God because you can't even handle the small things. But this is what John is saying. Do you trust Jesus? For some of you, you may not know Jesus. And I'm looking at you going, why? Every sign points to the reality that Jesus is who he said he was. And I would call you today, come get in the wheelbarrow. Well, not there, but you know what I mean, metaphorically. Follow Jesus. Some of you know right now you're in sin and you're outside of this. And Jesus is beckoning you, get back in here. Trust me. Trust me with your marriage. Trust me with your parenting. Trust me with your job. Trust me with whatever it is. Get back in here and trust that I am the Messiah and I'm the Son of God. And some of you are in this wheelbell right now going, it's getting scary. And I would say, it's scarier outside. Stay in the wheelbarrow. But let me just remind you of something. At the end of it, always, if I trust Jesus, is life. So much so that I promise you one day Jesus is coming back with a shout and a trumpet and he's going to win. And we think we know life now. We don't know nothing. What he has in store for us is incredible. So I would say to all of us, let's get in the wheelbarrow, amen? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for our time in John, Father. Thanks for letting us look at what this guy wrote about you, led by the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray right now, if there's any in here that don't know you, would you right now, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would you get them in the wheelbarrow? Father, would you do the miraculous? Father, for the rest of us that know you, would you please continue just on a daily basis, on a minute-by-minute confront us with the reality that there's so much life in obedience to you and denying ourselves. Father, would you do that amazing role within us? Would you accomplish that miracle at Cornerstone, a group of people that stay in the wheelbarrow, I beg you. Thank you so much for today, God. In your precious name we pray, amen.